When I first started trying to do something entrepreneurship and I was talking to some of the people that I was putting literally into this mobile hotel that I had built, I realized that being able to actually build something that improves somebody's life or make an impact on the world, I mean, that's got to be the most rewarding line of work you could possibly do. That's James Conley, co-founder and CEO of Villa. Villa builds high-quality and low-cost prefab accessory dwelling units. Their mission is to help solve the housing crisis through a visionary plan and hard work. In this episode, we talk about taking the path of minimal regret, unwinding your ego, and how your first idea probably won't be your best. I'm Maureen Taylor, and this is Think Like a Founder. In third grade, you got in trouble for selling jawbreakers to your classmates. In high school, you found a workaround to sell pizza on campus. And in college, you had a DJ business. But you didn't realize you wanted to be a founder until just a few years ago. So what happened? I guess maybe subconsciously that I wanted to be a founder, but I didn't really realize until recently that I could be a founder. After I left college, I did finance, very traditional path. I just felt that you know, I didn't have a good enough idea or, you know, I was waiting for something to hit me or, I, you know, I wasn't technical enough from a software perspective or I needed more savings and sort of a long list of reasons why I couldn't be a founder today. Despite that, there was this growing tension within me over the last couple of years of my corporate stint where working in venture capital, I just felt like I was on the wrong side of the table. You know, I saw so many amazing people making an impact on the world and, and really feeling like they were aligned with what they were doing every day. And I just felt this sort of angst, I guess, within me that I wasn't really realizing my full potential. And then fortunately for me, one of my mentors at Co2, the VC firm that I worked at, who was previously an entrepreneur, asked me a question that I guess changed my life. He said, if you were to try and fail to be a founder, to try to build something for the next 10 years, and you got to the end of that 10 year period and you had absolutely nothing to show for it, no financial success, no legacy, would you still be happy that you went for it? And when I thought about it, I realized that I, I would. I realized that my bar for success didn't need to be, I need to build the next Facebook and have a trillion dollar idea, but more, could I actually do something with my life that gave me meaning and could potentially provide enough of an income for me to just sustain my life? And I think that if I were to look back at the end of my life, I would say that I took the path of, of minimal regret and that was really important to me. So once I sort of made that conclusion, it was sort of like looking behind the curtain. You couldn't unsee what you saw. And I felt like I basically had to drop everything I was doing at that time and, and try to start a company. Now, when you talk about this tension you had or something, I call it an itch that you can't help but scratch. And what's exciting is that the trying and failing is better than not trying at all, that that inspired you is really cool. So you must be grateful to this person for sparking what is part of your destiny. When you took the leap and founded your company, you started to realize that a big motivation was actually the social pressure. And what do you mean by that? You know, since starting this journey, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and ask me, you know, what was the catalyst for taking the leap and what I was thinking through when it happened. And I think most people immediately go to the financial pressure. They go, oh, do I have enough in savings or how am I going to survive or how am I going to pay for myself? So a lot of times what they try to do is they take a half step into entrepreneurship and they'll continue to work their full nine to five job and they're doing this on the side. It's a weekend thing or a nighttime thing. And I think that's admirable, but 
What I've found is that the thing that really drives you is the social pressure of having to explain to the world every single day what you're doing. I think it's the most competitive game in the world. And there's someone out there that's giving it 110%. And, and I just encourage people to really throw themselves in it all the way. You stood in my backyard and you looked at my little shed and you talked about building a house there a little house that would house something that you're really interested in, and that's teachers and nurses and people who probably couldn't live in the neighborhood for the prices of this particular neighborhood. And I remember standing there looking up because you're tall and thinking, whoa, this is not just a business for this dude. This is a mission. You know, I grew up in the Bay Area, which has got to be one of the most privileged places to grow up in the entire world. I'm healthy. I've had every single possible advantage you could have. And I literally am growing up in one of the most beautiful places in the world. And I'm looking around at just the homelessness and the sh- and just the struggles of the common folk in this area. And I just, you know, you look to the left, you look to the right, and you go, if I don't do this, who will? And you realize that no one, no one's going to. If you don't do it, there's a chance it doesn't get solved. And I think when I first started trying to do something in entrepreneurship and I and was talking to some of the people that I was putting literally into this mobile hotel that I had built, I realized that being able to actually build something that improves somebody's life or make an impact on the world, I mean, that's got to be the most rewarding line of work you could possibly do. And it's quite addictive. Aligning with your mission is probably one of the most important things you can do as a founder, at least in my opinion, because you live and breathe this journey, right? And you're pitching it constantly and you need to be a leader and your energies can be contagious. And I think that the passion that I have for it is what differentiates me from someone who might maybe just be motivated by the money aspect of it. So you're sticking to your mission, but you've pivoted too. You've had to go from this to that. So there's a flexibility in what you do. And was that hard to learn and then actually fulfill? Definitely. So I set out to solve a problem and then I stumbled into a solution that actually worked. So I knew that housing and building attainable places for people to live was my goal. And I knew that that was a huge problem. That was a problem I wanted to be involved in solving. And my first iteration of that was, I'm going to build garden sheds on the back of these flatbed trucks and build a mobile hotel that parks in parking lots at night and rent them for 10 bucks a night. Incredibly unscalable, CapEx intensive, one of the worst from a VC perspective businesses you could possibly imagine. And I struggled with letting go of that idea. I think that if I look back at it, I probably spent an extra six months on it that I shouldn't have. And that's probably involved in your ego. And that's probably a bit to do with everyone telling you, you got to really stick with your idea and never give up. But I think you just need to wake up every day and be honest with what you're working on and iterate on it and not hold yourself to this impossibly high standard that your very first idea is going to be great. Because when I look back at it, I ended up taking three or four different iterations, completely different. I split hotel rooms. I built glamping sites on campgrounds. I ultimately started building full-on homes in people's backyards. I became a developer. Could have never guessed in a million years I would have done that, and here I am. So I think just taking an honest lens of what you're working on every day and not being afraid to go, hey, I was wrong, and not being afraid to start over. One of the things about being a founder is that it's lonely. There is a loneliness there that you have to be okay with or be able to deal with. Since we've talked, are you dancing with that better? I left my job in finance. I had an income and, you know, it was all 
part of the plan, the graduate college, and to get a job and to end up not doing any of those things and having to really carve your own path. I remember I was invited to a New Year's Eve party and I was supposed to DJ it and I literally had to leave at 11 o'clock to go open up the hotel I was operating at night and like I missed the ball drop and everyone was confused and you kind of have this dynamic where you're on your own sort of path and then and then once you're actually in it you know and you find product market fit and you're building the business you're putting in a tremendous amount of hours or, or at least I did I don't, I don't think that's necessary but in my experience it was and it's isolated. You don't have the time to invest in your friends and family in the way that I typically like to. And your support system can kind of wither a little bit because you're not nourishing those relationships in the way that you were prior. And it's hard for your peers to really understand how this this concept has somehow taken priority over the relationship you had with them. And then even within the job itself, if you end up in the position of CEO, you are on an island because you're taking information from all aspects of the business and you need to do what's best for the company at all times. And that can take priority over personal relationships or it needs to, you know, for you to be an effective person. So you have to be a little psychopathic at times. And as I've found support systems Along the way, I've been able to balance it more. And I think the benefit of being aligned with what your work is and what you're doing will triumph over the loneliness. And I think what will happen or what's happening to me in real time, at the very least, is I'm starting to rebuild my support systems around people who really understand my priorities and why I'm so driven to do what I do and the sacrifices that I make. In order to solve the world's biggest problems, you have to actually care about what you're solving. And as you just pointed out, founders like you put their blood, sweat, and tears into the company that they believe in and that is tied to their mission. So you have a mission, you're a founder of that mission, and then you're a leader. There's an interesting balance there that you have to find. How do the three work together? One of the things that I have learned to do is to sort of try to unwind your ego a little bit and, and lean into your true strengths. You know, it's really easy to get caught up in what is Jeff Bezos doing and how can I be a tyrant CEO visionary and all this stuff at the same time. And maybe that's true. Maybe that is how he worked. But for all the other regular people on the planet, what I found is that I had great strengths in areas of weakness. And as opposed to trying to force myself into my weaknesses and do a bad job at everything, I built a team around me that allowed me to lean into my strengths and support me. My co-founder, Zephan McMinn, is an amazing operator and he's good at setting milestones and following up and setting scorecards and getting to the nitty gritty and unblocking small things. And that is critical to be paired with what I consider to be my strengths, which is the vision of the business, driving to what I think is our ultimate purpose in this entire experiment that we're running. I serve as the pace setter and I'm constantly impatient and I make the team work and go and believe in themselves. I would say that not feeling like you have to do it all, building a really good team, being thoughtful with what you're the best at, because at the end of the day, you got to be honest with yourself and do a lot of reflection. Now, one of the things we talk about a lot at our little company is that we're living in an inflection. And you said something similar. You think that the next wave of massive companies will be built using the software of the current tech giants as their foundation. So what do you mean by that? I'm sort of a perpetual optimist, and, and I, I'm really excited about the ability for the, the human race to solve the, the big challenges in front of us. And when I think about technology and taking a step back, the companies that were built over the last 20 years have, I think, laid a foundation for us as operators and entrepreneurs to solve really 
tricky problems that have, I think, been neglected. So for instance, in our case, housing, very difficult for someone to build and design and order a home and get it installed in their house with the push of a button. It just doesn't exist, but it's necessary to solve our problem, in my opinion. And for us to build that technology, we have to leverage Instagram to run ads, run Salesforce to manage our CRM. I think we probably have 50 different softwares that we're leveraging to do that. And I think these next businesses that get built will use a little bit of all of the foundational pieces that have been built over the last 20 years to solve really tricky problems that are lower margin and potentially operationally complex, but the opportunity is just massive. And you see the chance to really change things like housing and healthcare and education in a way that I think we haven't been able to do in the past. Now, obviously founding a company, the market fit and product iterations and executing at scale and all of these things is a learning curve. And to overcome the learning curve, you have to be resilient. You've discovered that not being reactionary helps. Describe that. You read founder stories and you wonder if you have what it takes to be these people and you have this pressure on yourself that you're going to sleep under your desk. And, you know, sometimes that's necessary. I think especially in the beginning when you're trying to move very fast, it's really important to put in the work and you're iterating very quickly. But as the business evolves, it's actually not beneficial to the company, in my opinion, to be sleep deprived and to be reacting to things with a knee-jerk reaction because you need to be making a couple critical decisions every day and making the right ones. You get a big piece of news and it seems really scary and you think the sky is falling. 99% of the time it's not. I have a response I say to most folks in this situation, which is I need to sleep on this and I make my decision the next day. And I think the previous version of me would have tried to solve it right there in that meeting or stayed up all night trying to crack it. And I don't think you drive to the optimal decision a lot of the time doing that. And I think being able to ride the highs and lows, especially in the position of a leader, when you need to be the stable energy to your team is really critical. And I think it becomes more important as you are responsible for less and less work and responsible for making more and more important decisions and guiding the team. Sometimes you'll say, and I quote, thank you for this disaster. And if you have that attitude, and I'm not saying it's easy at all, but there is something about choosing to commit to have a particular attitude so you're not in a fetal ball. What keeps that interesting is it's a daily effort. You do get into some sort of habit and to have that discipline is a gift to ourselves. Now, as I know your mom is a beautiful person in your life, what is the best advice she ever gave you? I don't know if it was a piece of advice, but she is a walking example for me in this minimal regret model that I have in my mind. It's funny. One of the things I admired the most about her, she went to Berkeley. She dropped out to start a rock band. She ended up getting some backing and they recorded an album and there was this giant record that sat in our house growing up with my mom on the cover of it. And I just remember looking at that and, you know, it set her back in her career five years, 10 years, whatever it was. And... I don't think she has an ounce of regret over that. And she just picked herself back up, figured out a way to be a provider to the family and a leader to me, and just very inspirational to look at that and to look at your mother being an entrepreneur and before that, a dreamer. And I think it was really encouraging that it was something I could do, that I could try and fail and that it would be okay. And I think that removing that fear from your psyche enables you to make big bets and to take the leap. Even though I've never met your mother, I love her. <laughs> she sounds beautiful. So as you know, this is 
for folks out there that have this itch and they might not either have the confidence or think that they can do it or they're being told that they have to fit into a mold. If this person is resonating and feeling connected with what you're saying, what is your advice to this person? As soon as this podcast is over, go quit your job. And the reason I say that is I truly believe that there are a tremendous amount of problems out there in the world that can be solved. There aren't enough people trying to solve them. And I think a lot of people, myself included, have a very hard time actually believing that they are capable of doing it, that it's the right time for them, that that they should do it. And 99.9% of the people I talk to never actually take the leap. They punt it, they delay it. And what I found was that in the first 72 hours of trying to be an entrepreneur full time, I did more work than I had done on the side in years. And I want to encourage people to have the confidence in themselves that they can do it. I think really just actually going for it is the biggest filter. And what you'll find is that any number of failures you can overcome, any sort of obstacles or hurdles, you will figure out a way to work around. The work is incredibly rewarding. And if you're able to find something that works or find alignment, not only are you going to live a much more blessed life, but you're going to make a tremendous impact on the world. And I think that you'll be incredibly grateful that you did it. And the world does really needs you to do it. If I can help in any way, you need my guidance, you know, please figure out a way to find me. My DMs are always open. I will always take a call with someone and try to help them figure out how to do it. And yeah, I wish you all the best. That was James Connolly, co-founder and CEO of Villa, a full service ADU builder that believes everyone should have access to a comfortable and cost-effective home. Learn more at villahomes.com. I'm Maureen Taylor. Thanks for listening. Join us next time on Think Like a Founder when I talk to Noor Siddiqui, founder and CEO of Orchid. We talk about parental autonomy, radical candor paired with radical kindness, and getting people to talk off script. I'm Maureen Taylor. Thanks for listening. Series producer is Mike Sullivan. Sound design by Mark Green. Content and scripting by Jason Drown. Production coordinator is Natasha Thomas. Thanks also to Roisin Hunt, Selena Persiani-Shell, Matt Johnson, John Hughes, and Ren Vera. <laughs>